Why don't you be seated? I would encourage you to get the live notes or access the blog, particularly this week. I'm going to reference several things uh, that there are more elaborate explanations about online. If you want to see some of these things, where they're found in Scripture, um, go for it. But my, my question and what we're really focusing on and discerning in this season is that God wants us to be spiritually well. And that's my question, just are you spiritually well? There are a lot of indicators that can give you, um, you know, the thought and idea and the evaluation of how am I doing spiritually. The Bible says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I mean, very clearly this is something we should evaluate. But you personally, are you spiritually well? And in the first several weeks of this, we're addressing very intentionally the orphan mindset. That's not what this is all going to be about, but we're, we're digging up a lot out of this. How many of you know? Last week, uh, A.T., Kristen's boyfriend, uh, did an amazing, <laughs> amazing job uh, with uh, the message, and you really need to hear that and dig that out and allow the Lord just to work uh, in addressing some of those mindsets in your life. The Bible says in John 14, and it's such... Such clear language in Scripture, and, and I've not really heard much about it in times past. But John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. This is pretty important. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. In other words, you're orphans. Without Jesus, you're orphans. Without Jesus, you live in an orphan mindset. So Jesus came to make disciples and rescue the orphans, converting them into sons and daughters of God. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Who? Not the orphans, the sons and daughters of God. You will begin to see what Jesus is doing in the earth. Because I live, you also will live, truly live, really live, not merely exist. Many people today are merely existing. They don't know what it is to truly live because they've not discovered the purposes of God and given their lives to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to get religious. I don't want you to come to church to try and be more church-like. We want you to be more Christ-like. That's our goal in all of our lives. The one who loves me, here it is, will be loved by my Father. You have to see how beautiful this is. I'll not leave you as orphans and when you learn to love me, you will be loved and fathered by God Almighty. That then rescues us out of an orphan mindset. You have to, we all have to recognize and embrace the reality. Jesus didn't die on the cross so God could be our master. Jesus died on the cross so God could be our father. And he fathers us well. How many of you know he fathers us well? Cultural influence and circumstances that we face have a huge effect on your life. How many of you realize the culture that you live in has shaped your thinking in many respects? I mean, just visit other parts of the world and you begin to see all the various cultural perspectives that exist in different parts of the world. The culture that you and I have grown up in has shaped our thinking in many respects. And I just want to point out, true sons and daughters of God actually live countercultural lives because the kingdom culture has begun to take shape within their heart. And you start to have a sense in the cultural realm that you exist in 
Things that don't seem right, things that don't sound right, things that don't look right, things that you discern are wrong. You're supposed to be touching felt, and it feels a little like Velcro, and you recognize something's not right in this moment, something's not right in this influence. Tracy and I were talking on the way over here uh, about just going shopping in Rue 21 or you know common stores of today where our kids are... This is, their, this is their life. This is their cultural paradigm. If you go in those places and just listen to the music that's playing in public spaces, I mean, it is, I, I would say it's inappropriate. It's beyond inappropriate. I was exposed this last week to a song somebody shared with me that is a very popular song in the, in the minds of, of our next generation right now, hugely popular song. And, and it's it's three, the title is three words, and two of them are derogatory, horrible cuss words. I mean, I, I, when they told me, I couldn't even believe it was a reality. And I, I, I mean, I'm just looking at what's happening in the moral decline in our society, and I, I don't want to get up and be one of those angry religious preachers, but I do want you to know the holiness of God is a very real thing that should be shaping and taking hold in every one of our lives. Come on, why don't we just hiss the enemy away and break some strongholds today together? In the name of Jesus. Orphans. Orphans just lift up their feet in the strong current of our culture. And they're swept downstream because they don't know how to take a stand firmly planted in the character of God when the circumstances come their way. And I believe this morning the Lord really wants to help us understand that. So let's, let's go back. We understand from Scripture, Adam is the son of God. So God, Adam's father, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam and Eve sin. They're disconnected from their father that takes them from sonship to an orphan mindset. And that then began to perpetuate the orphan mindset throughout the generations. That's why Jesus is redeeming us from the orphan mindset, wanting to make us sons and daughters once again. We all understand it. It's getting more and more clear every week as we look at this together. Um, there, I, I've given a breakdown on the blog of, of the fall of Lucifer and, and where you can find that in Scripture and in, in Isaiah and in Ezekiel and how he was separated from his original home and he's resentful of anybody who's enjoying fellowship and interaction with God the Father. So it's important that we see how this all ties in. Then we go on further in the story of scripture to Genesis 16 and we see this amazing uh, depiction taking place. Once again, we've got Father Abraham. So we see fatherhood in the mix of what God's trying to reveal in the earth. And Abraham and Sarah, they get this promise. And over the course of years, circumstances began to take a hold. Again, we're talking about uh, today the cultural uh, shift that's going on that can impact us and circumstances that begin to take hold of our thinking. If we're not careful, we can face difficult circumstances and abandon what we know about our father because of the things we don't understand about our situation. How many of you know it's easy to do that? Something happens, I don't understand, therefore I, I abandon everything I know about my father. 
And that's an orphan mindset. That's getting you into an orphan disposition. This is where Abraham and Sarah, they came to this place. And, and, and let me just tell you, you are going to face things you are not going to be able to explain. That's just going to happen in a fallen world. But keep looking to a risen king because he's trying to redeem your thinking and draw your orphan mindset into a firm place of knowing your heavenly father. So Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, uh, Abraham and Sarah, they're trucking along. They get this promise. They know it's going to happen. And again, you can read about this on the blog for the details of it. I just want to reference a few stories so that we can see the clarity of, and the continuity of this in this particular topic. And so here they are and they're, you know, years down the road and they're wondering what's going on. And so all of a sudden Abraham uh, is introduced to uh, Hagar, who's an Egyptian maid, and they're going to help God. I just want to encourage you, don't ever help God. Orphans help God a lot. Sons wait on God. Okay. Orphans are underdeveloped. And, uh, and sons and daughters of God, they're more developed and they're more mature and they're very foundational. And so uh, all of a sudden we see Abraham and Sarah functioning much in the mindset of the orphan. And, and here we have uh, Hagar introduced to the situation. And now an illegitimate child is born, not from the marriage relationship. His name is Ishmael. Go on down a few years and the true son is born. His name is Isaac. And this is hugely important, and, and it plays out in the world that you and I live in today. If we went back and looked at the descendants and the streams of those two individuals, you would understand a lot of the Middle East uh, crisis that's going on and conflict that's taking place. This, your life doesn't just affect you. It affects generations after you. And so what we see in our own lives is the spirit of Ishmael, the insecure heart of an orphan, fighting against the spirit of Isaac or the confident heart of a son. And we're constantly having to come back and renew our minds for the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. Are there any sons and daughters of God in the house who have a fear and a confidence that comes from knowing God? We refuse just to allow that orphan mindset to rob us of all that God's desiring to do. And then we go forward into the book of Ruth, and there's this interesting story about this woman by the name of Naomi and her husband and, and her two sons, and they relocate to a place called Moab. And this is all very important, and I want to give you some context and framework for this, because in Moab, the two sons meet two women, and their names are Ruth and Orpah. And if you've read this story, then you know, uh, you know the details of this, but, but her sons and her husband die in Moab. This is important because Moab is a place of sexual sin. I mean, you know, we live in a very highly sexualized culture. Let me explain why we see in Scripture Moab as a place of sexual sin. Because if we go all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah, then you've got fire raining down from heaven because of sexual sin. Very specifically, there were homosexual acts and sexual sin taking place that were inappropriate in the, in the heart of God. And we see this whole situation taking place. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters escaped just before all heaven came down and literally decimated this community. And, and Lot's wife didn't survive the departure. And Lot finds himself in the hills with his two daughters, who then begin to have an orphan mindset. And they say, well, we may never have husbands because of all, you know, their frame of reference is maybe the world just got obliterated, I don't know. But they decide that it's gonna be a good idea to get their father drunk and have sex with him, and they both become pregnant. 
Guess what their two sons' names are? Moab and Ammon. And Moab and Ammon become tribes themselves, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so here, all of this was born from sexual sin. And, and Moab is the place where the Moabites live, a place of sexual sin. This is the place where Naomi lost her husband. A place of sexual sin is where we lose our husbands and our sons. And it's not just our husbands and our sons. It's our wives and our daughters as well. And we've offered support structures for those that want to just rise up and conquer the challenge in the sexualized culture that we live in today with pornography and, and we've had support groups for women and support groups for men and we've re-emerged our support group for men now and, and, uh, and, and uh, Josh McQueen and Aaron Budd, Josh is in this service and uh, they meet on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock upstairs in that side of the building, just down on that end of, uh, right on the other side of that wall. And I would invite you guys, listen, this is an important thing for us as men to address in our lives. This is, it's so freely there. I'm just going to tell you last week, I, I looked at my phone and I was doing something and an ad popped up. And when the ad popped up, it was just a, an image that captivated me for just a second. I looked at the image and I thought, and, and I literally thought in, in my own heart, what's transacting in my heart? right now and is this pleasing to the Lord and how can I learn to allow that which is pleasing to the Lord be the content of my heart every moment of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year of every generation of the legacy to come come on you and I have the power from God to be sons and daughters of God and conquer these areas but it requires us in many respects to do this together in a spirit of community and being honest about your struggle. Some people are so blown away if I stand up here and make a comment like that. Don't be blown away. This is normal. And you can conquer it if you'll stop lying about it and hiding it. What you cover up grows. Put a seed in the ground and cover it up and it grows. Uncover it and it dies. Temptation comes in your life. Cover it up. It's going to take root. Expose it and uncover it and it'll die. Sons and daughters of God have a sense of confidence to know. I'm not going to be judged by a, a contemplation or a temptation. You have to realize temptation is not a sin. The Bible clearly says that. Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. So we've got this whole scenario where in, 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 in Moab, Naomi loses her husband, loses her sons, and these, now she's got these two daughters-in-law. And Ruth and, and Orpah, they're having a conversation. And Ruth steps forward into a place of greater promise. And ultimately, she's going to have a descendant named David. Who will then later, generations later, have a descendant named Jesus. Ruth is going to step into the lineage of the Messiah, as, participating with the legacy of Christ in the earth as she moves into a place of promise. Orpah, however, did not step forward and take that risk to move into a place of greater promise. She did what many of us do. It's so easy to do. She simply returned to her dysfunction, back to a sexualized culture. She went back, and rabbis and Jewish scholars tell us she actually became a prostitute. We read these stories, and something in our heart begins to transact. And my question is, are you teachable? The title today is Teachable Sons and Daughters of God. God wants us to be teachable. 
And I want to address this on a deep, deep level today where we would understand there are some issues that are existing within us that might be resisting what God's desiring to reveal because we've bought into the cultural opinion more than God's opinion that we read in his word. But the Bible actually says in Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord corrects those he loves. How many of you love God? How many of you glad God loves you? He corrects you then. That's not the part we like. But it's a reality. The Lord corrects those. Are you teachable? Like he's going to correct you. He loves you. He will correct you. Are you teachable, sons and daughters of God? For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as the father corrects a child. There it is, taking us out of an orphan mindset into sonship, daughtership. The father corrects a child in who he delights. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Do you have a teachable spirit? Do you have a teachable? Anybody here have the gift of stubborn? Anybody here know someone who has the gift of stubborn? Anyone here married to someone that you want to stay married to so you're just going to look straight ahead? Just keep looking at me. Don't even look to the side. It is so easy to be stubborn. And what we have to understand and recognize is the Bible calls these conclusions we are stubborn about strongholds. It's easy to read our Bible through the lens of predetermined, stubborn conclusions. It is easy to read our Bibles to prove and substantiate what we've already decided to believe is true. Rather than to allow God to teach us, we've got a, a framework of where our belief structure is, and we're just looking for verses to substantiate what it is that exists within our framework. Anything that might challenge our framework, we just kind of shift away from that. that that's not, that's, I'm too culturally sensitive to buy into that. I'm going to stay over here. I want us to be kingdom cultural sensitive more than anything else. Many Christians don't let the Bible get in the way of what they have decided to believe. Think about it. The verses that point to what I have decided to believe, those are the ones I focus on. Common cultural conclusions of our day must not be allowed to cloud our theology. You know, a few years ago, President Obama was in office. And this is not a bash to him, it's just a reality. He made a statement in his speech, and I was listening to his speech live. And he mocked the idea of looking to the Bible for policy guidance. And I remember thinking, what are you communicating to an entire nation of people? And he referenced some Levitical law and Deuteronomy, dismissing the Bible as non-applicable, obviously because of these verses. And it really challenged me just to think as a Christian leader, how do I respond to that in terms of, I mean, I pray for our president, and by the way, whether I vote for um, 
for the current president or not, I pray for him because he's my president and you should have the same attitude and not have some divisive political uh, conclusion that keeps us separated. You know, we've got to come together in agreement in Jesus' name. You've got to understand that we, if you're allowing the enemy to play you to politics to keep you divided, then you are a shallow, immature, orphan mindset person when it comes to that area of your life. There are three kinds of law in Scripture. Let me address with you uh, how I would respond to the, the comment made about the Bible not being relevant. There are three kinds of law in Scripture. We see civil law, ceremonial law, and moral law. It's important that you understand these. In the Old Testament, you're going to find these. Civil law... Basically, depending on the civilization, on society, there were laws to keep everybody civil in that particular society. That may or may not be relevant to today's society. Those are not moral issues. Those are civil laws. Civil laws, uh, did you know the Bible actually gives all kinds of building code requirements back in the day? Like if you're going to have a second floor, you should have a rail around. That, that's civil law. You read that stuff in Scripture because the Bible is clear about protecting humanity. That's an important part of God's heart. So civil law exists, and there are a lot of illustrations we could give. But then there's ceremonial law. And this is like, uh, don't cut your sideburns, what kind of clothing to wear, don't get a tattoo. I, I, I think it's so funny, somebody was actually eating uh, a sandwich one day, and they said to me, uh, I can't believe these people, they're getting tattoos on their body, and the Bible says you shouldn't tattoo your body. And they were eating a ham sandwich. <laughs> and just a few verses prior to the tattoo verses, the don't eat ham verse. And I said, spit out your ham. Don't want to go to hell. I mean, you understand, it is confusing if you don't understand. Those are not moral laws. Those are ceremonial laws. Now let's look at moral laws. How many of you know in the Old Testament you shouldn't lie? And in the New Testament, you shouldn't lie. How many of you know in the Old Testament you shouldn't steal? And in the New Testament, you shouldn't steal. Moral laws never change. Civil laws are subject to the society that they're in. Ceremonial laws, Jesus didn't come to do away but fulfill them. We find the fulfillment of those laws where we're walking in obedience to the Lord in Christ. But moral laws, they never, ever change. Listen, I, 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 since I'm on this confession streak about how sinful I can be, uh, Several years ago, early in our marriage, I had to confess to Tracy that I came to the realization that she and I were, I know yesterday she talked a little bit about some of our struggles in the early part of our marriage, uh, and, and again, you, you work out what you got to work out, folks. Get help, do what you got to do, man. We didn't realize what all we were fighting for, but, but it, there was a time where I would go home and, and things weren't happy at home, and then I would go to another uh, context of life, and I found a, 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 an attractive woman that was very nice to me. And then I would go home, and, and I would not feel the happy vibe, and then I would bump into this context again, and I would feel the happy vibe. And I, I realized one time when I was having a conversation with this other woman that she was actually inviting me into a level of relationship that would have been inappropriate. 
And as, as I sensed that invitation, I, it hit me. I've had an emotional affair. I didn't even realize I was having an emotional affair, but I was having an emotional affair. Thank God I didn't have a physical affair. Thank God we didn't cross any boundaries, never anything physical. But when I realized I was having an emotional affair with somebody that I'd grown attached to, mainly out of anger, my wife, I went straight home, went to Tracy, and I said, I'm just going to absolutely confess this to you. This is inappropriate emotionally. I've found myself angry with you, attached to this person. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have your trust in this situation. You walk me through what you do want, what you don't want, and I will absolutely submit to the Lord in that process. How many of you know I could have said, but I love this woman. Adultery in the Old Testament is sexual sin. And sexual sin in the Old Testament is sexual sin in the New Testament. It doesn't matter if you think you love somebody or if you feel like you love somebody or you actually love somebody. That is not justification for violating a moral law that we find in Scripture. Do not go there no matter what. Now let's be clear. Opposite sex attraction to somebody I'm not married to is no different than same-sex attraction in society in which we live. I want to say it again. Opposite sex attraction to somebody I'm not married to is no different than same-sex attraction. And so when we look in the Old Testament and we see issues of sexual sin, of, of adultery, homosexuality, fornication, polygamy, when we start looking at what the Scripture reveals in the Old Testament of moral law about sexual sin, that does not change from Old Testament to New Testament. No matter what the culture may try to tell you, it may be screaming in your face. Well, what about love? That does not justify crossing a boundary that the Bible says is wrong. My identity is rooted in spiritual truth more than human desire and passion. How about you? Our desires must be submitted to God's truth. My identity is rooted in spiritual truth more than human desire. Can, can we all just say that? Let's all say this out loud. It's a declaration today of agreement. Let's just read it together. My identity is rooted in spiritual truth more than human desire. It is so important that you understand that. And this is not the case for the orphan who lacks that deeper sense of identity, and they begin to be defined by the cultural ideology of their day, or the frustrating, disappointing circumstance, or the trauma, it begins to produce this sense of dysfunction in their life. You just have to realize passion runs deep in our God-given design for community, especially in our highly sexualized culture. We resolve that the deepest form of love is sexual intimacy, but it's not. I know that's a countercultural thing to say, but it's absolutely true. I was really blown away. Tracy and I did the Valentine's message. We did it from our home, and, and as we were talking, she said, in a marriage relationship, you know, it's easy to pursue a sexual relationship and sexual intimacy, but do you pursue a deeper level of intimacy, spiritual intimacy? Huh. 
It really struck me when she started talking about that. And I began to realize this is why the Bible says, and David loved Jonathan more than a man loves a woman because there's a deeper expression of intimacy beyond that of a physical nature to a spiritual depth of recognizing God has connected our lives for the eternal purposes of God that will prevail forever and ever and ever. We are going to spend all eternity together reflecting on the lives we lived on this earth. Let's live our lives well together. When sons and daughters of God lose their way in orphan-minded mindsets of the world, you better understand generations are greatly, greatly impacted. Your life is not just about you. Don't let your desire or desires take control of your life. It's affecting more than just you. There are these two guys. I've splashed this graphic up before, but... uh, Jonathan Edwards, revivalist Christian believer, gave his heart to the Lord, served the purposes of God. Max Jukes, a man who became an alcoholic, self-absorbed, neglectful to his family and his children. Here's a comparison of their lives. And they did a study on their descendants. Jonathan Edwards has uh, 1,394 known descendants, descendants, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 100 pastors, 75 army and navy officers, 60 prominent authors, 3 U.S. senators, 80 public, public servants, and one vice president, a man who had a heart to serve the Lord, serve his family, and leave a legacy. Compared to Max Jukes, alcoholic, neglectful to his wife and his children, of his 1,020 known descendants, there were 310 homeless people begging 150 criminals that were known criminals, seven murderers, 100 drunks, and 190 prostitutes. Let me just say, self-centered, self-serving, self-absorbed, what's the key word I'm saying? Self. Selfish desires that sons and daughters migrate to as an orphan mindset will take you nowhere good. It produces a self-serving version of Christianity and it never leads to anything healthy, quite the contrary. So I want to take you back now, the story of Naomi, Ruth, Orpah. It's interesting, Oprah was named after Orpah. They just spelled it wrong. It's a true story. I heard her tell it. Her mom named her after Orpah, spelled it wrong. So Oprah is almost biblical. It's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) (sighs) Naomi, two daughters-in-law. Ruth moves forward, steps into a place of greater promise. Out of that place of promise, she marries Boaz. From Boaz comes a lineage, a descendant named David who one day stands on a battlefield facing a giant. Orpah returns to her sexualized culture in Moab, literally becoming a prostitute. Descendants come from her as well, and one day one of her descendants stands on a battlefield facing a young boy named David. Goliath is a descendant of Orpah. You might want to think about what I'm saying. 
Because had Orpah's return to sexual dysfunction that produced a descendant that fought against King David, had Goliath killed David, the bloodline of the Messiah would have been cut off and you and I would not know God today. Worship team, would you come? Your decisions don't just affect you. I know what it is to contend with personal pain, to stay true to the promise that God's called you to. But it's not just about you. It it should really cause something in you to jostle in the wrong direction when you start having thoughts of, well, I just want to make myself happy. As if your personal happiness is all that is at stake. Do you realize there are going to be generations after you and the way you live your life and the way you serve your God will impact those generations to come? I'm not just talking about natural sons and daughters. I'm talking about spiritual sons and daughters truly making disciples, leaving a legacy that glorifies God, honors Jesus, and lifts up his name. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Just examine your own heart for a moment. Have you allowed stubborn, predetermined conclusions to hold you in an orphan mindset? keeps you from the confidence of a son and daughter of God. If you don't know who you are before God, you'll spend your entire life trying to prove who you are before man. Come on, would you stand? I want to ask you to spend time in God's word this week. Specifically, your action point. We bring God's presence to real life. Today stings a little bit. Would you agree? All week long, it's been stinging me. Every time I start praying into it, it's like, oh, Lord, help me. I want to ask you this week, spend time in God's word asking him to help you get past your predetermined stubborn conclusions that the Bible would actually call strongholds. Let's have illumination, the ability to see things with greater clarity according to the truth of God's word. God's word is true. God's word is true. God's word is true. No matter what culture it's ever existed in and whatever generation through the ages, God's word has always been true. No matter what culture is to come. How many know there's, there's some concerns we could have about what's happening in our culture right now? How many know it's not what it used to be? And it's not later what it is now. 
But let's not look at that in an attitude of fear. Let's look at that in an attitude of revival where we allow God to do something in our hearts that will transact heaven into the earth and begin to reform society in such a way that sons and daughters of God will come into a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ generations after us because we took a stand and said, let God's kingdom come. Let God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the sons and daughters of God. It's not about a downpouring to us that we enjoy and love and get under the spout. It's about an outpouring where God's awakening something within us. Are you allowing God to awaken something within you right now? Because he wants to transform the world around you as a result. So, Lord, we just invite you, speak to our hearts today as we press into a place of worship. We just want to surrender to the cross of Jesus Christ all over again, fresh and new. Somebody may not know what it is to serve God and accept Christ, and we're just agreeing today that we're all standing on common ground at the foot of the cross, whether it's a first-time decision where we say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior, or whether it's a continuation of that Lordship declaration where we're saying, God, take us deep into the purposes of God. We are hungry for more. Jesus, you are Lord. You are the Savior of this world. Come to rescue all humanity. Redeem us from an orphan mindset that we might become the sons and daughters of God. Come on, if that's your prayer, whether it's the first time you've ever prayed it or you're continuing with that declaration, why don't you give him a hand clap of praise as we declare it today. Jesus, you are Lord. Come on, let's dig deep and give him praise. You are Lord. God, we surrender our hearts and lives to you today. In Jesus' mighty name, you are sons and daughters of God, and he has called you to live countercultural lives that align with his word, led by his spirit. So I want us to take a few moments let's just press in and worship as a part of our congregational assignment together there's something for us to release in this time of worship will affect a spiritual climate a spiritual atmosphere how many know i'm tampering with a, a difficult topic in the society today in which you and i live do you understand that we're going to do whatever god asks us to do according to his word we will not bow we'll not back up we're not going to deviate we're going to stay true come on men and women of truth let's worship the lord our god